Our sermon passage this morning comes from John chapter 5, verses 31 through 47. This is Jesus speaking. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have a testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet, you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, um, you may have heard, since the last time I was up here, I turned 40. Yeah. So, so in honor of being a 40-year-old pastor, I'm going to start off with a 30-year-old movie illustration. Uh, in the movie uh, Shawshank Redemption, I'm sure you all remember it, right? It's a classic. Um, it's, a, it's about these two main characters. And uh, it's uh, Red and Andy, and they are serving these long-term prison sentences. And at one point in the movie, Andy starts to talk about his hopes for the future, about his dreams of one day how he's going to go and he's going to move to Mexico and he's going to buy a hotel near the beach and he's going to get an old boat, and he's going to fix it up. And Red, as he's listening, is skeptical. He's discouraged. He tells him that it's not worth your time to get all your energies poured into these hopeless fantasies. And Andy, in response, says, well, I guess it really all comes down to a simple choice. And he gives this classic line, either get busy living or get busy dying. There's something deep, some truth inside that phrase, get busy living or get busy dying. It hits home even today when you hear him say it because we know that there is a difference there. There is a difference between just being alive and really living. But what is the difference? What is the difference between truly living and just being alive. Is, is it having a dream of going to Mexico? Is it having a nice boat? 
Well, in our passage today, uh, Jesus is in this moment of confrontation with some religious leaders. And this is our second straight week looking at this passage. He's, this is the middle of his interaction with these folks. You might remember it all started uh, three weeks ago when he healed a man on the Sabbath. We read in verse 16 of chapter 5 that Jesus had healed this paralyzed man and he was doing it on the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father's always at work to this very day, and I too am working. And it says in verse 18, For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, and he was making himself equal with God. So this momentary healing starts this big controversy about who is Jesus? Who is this person claiming that he really is, and it reaches a climax in verse 40, part of our passage today. He says to these religious leaders, you refuse to come to me that you would have life. You refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus says to them and to anybody who is listening to these passages this morning, you're alive But you are not really living until you find life in me. You're alive, but you're not really living until you find life in Jesus Christ. And so today, that's that's the whole thing we're going to talk about. We're going to look at this passage and, and ask that question. If Jesus says he is the true source of real life, how can we be sure that's true? How do we know we can trust him? Well, three things in this passage. One, we have to hear, we have to examine the testimonies that we believe. Secondly, we have to hear the better testimonies that Jesus offers. And finally, we need to understand what it means to live a real life. So those are our points. Let's jump right into them. The first thing we need to do is examine the testimonies that we believe. Now, a testimonial is a powerful tool. I'm constantly shopping on Amazon, as it seems like most of the world is these days. And when I'm looking for a product, if I'm ever in doubt about that product, well, what do I do? You know, you scroll down, right? You get down to read the testimonials, read the reviews. What do people say about this thing? But then you have the question, which ones do I believe, right? Which one of these reviews do I listen to? Which one do I agree with? Last week I was looking for a commentary on the book of Revelation, And uh, it was from an author who I trusted, from a a commentary series that I frequently use, from a publisher I trust. And it had a lot of great reviews, but there were a couple of exceptions, and I wanted to show one of them to you. It says, very blasphemous book. If you are a Christian, do not bring this book into your house. The author does not believe over half the items in the Bible happened. I repeat, Do not even bring this book into your house, let alone open a page and let the devil in your house. As I read that, I kind of, I just imagined the the author of the book talking to his wife about it. Hey, honey, how's, she's asking, hey, honey, how's the book being received? (laughs) He's like, oh, you know, it's pretty good. We're getting some mixed reviews. You know, on one hand, we've got four and a half stars and hundreds of good reviews on Amazon. On the other hand, some people think if, If you even open one page, it'll let the devil in your house. 
Like, that's pretty bleak. That's a, that's a pretty bad review of a commentary. And our, that, the point is, our world is full of testimonials, good ones and bad ones. We're constantly choosing which ones we're really supposed to believe. And not, of course, not just about products that we're buying, but about bigger questions, about how do we live our lives? What do we base our lives around? What are we going to prioritize each and every day? What does the world tell us will give us a good life? Well, I think the Lake Norman area, the area where we live, is always telling us what you need to live a good life is more. You need more. For the adults in the room, it's saying you need a bigger house. You need a nicer car. You need to find the perfect spot on the lake with all the toys to play with. And if you're a kid, that message filters down. You know, my kids are in middle school and elementary school, but still, every day I hear from them, I need the new phone. I need the better shoes. I need the right clothes. And more of them. (laughs) Not just the ones you bought me last time. I need more of them. Our community is telling us all the time that you are just one major purchase away from happiness. Just one item, and then you're really going to be living when you just get that next thing. What else? What are the ads on social media? What are the ads on television? What are they telling us? What's their testimonial? You know, I get a lot of ads for these fitness products, diet drinks, T-shirts that will hide your belly when you wear them. Makeup, right? The natural-looking makeup. What are these things peddling to us? They're peddling beauty. They're peddling youth. They're saying, well, if you, if you really weigh this much, if you have these measurements, and whether you're 13 or 83, if you can make yourself look like you're 25, then you're going to be happy. Then you're going to be really living. The news. What about the news? What's the testimonial we're getting from the news? Well, they're telling us that we're going to truly live when our political party has all the power. When the people we support finally have their way, that's when things are going to be good. When the things I want get enforced, and when the people I disagree with, when they lose, that's when I'm going to be fulfilled. That's when you'll be really living. That's when you're going to be on the top. And it's not just those outside things. What about religion? You know, what are, what are religious people telling us? What is religion telling us? Well, it's telling us that if we can just do the right thing, if we can just be good people, then we'll have a good life. If we can be moral and, and upright and good, well, then we'll be secure. Then we'll know we're good. Then we'll have our foot in the door of heaven. And even inside of us, there's, there's a testimonial, right? Your own heart is telling you things. It's saying, well, you know, if you, you'll really be living if, if you are somebody. If people will respect you, if they'll admire you, if they'll look up to you, that's when you're going to be really living. And I'm not just talking about, like, uh, wanting to be famous, although that's certainly, like, a big thing in our culture, wanting people to, to know who you are. But, but I'm just talking about the hunger to be liked even by your neighbors or your, or your co-workers. 
think, that's what I need. I need other people's affections. That's how I'll truly live. That's the kind of stuff we're hearing every day in our world. But what's behind it? What is behind all of those testimonials? Well, they're empty. They're hollow. Here's the truth. If you spend your life pursuing those different things, if you decide to believe those testimonials and live your life that way, what you're going to get is a life where you are constantly running on that hamster wheel, always chasing something that you never achieve, always wanting something that you don't quite have. You're going to live your life with anxiety, with guilt, with fear, with a constant awareness of your own lacking? Or, I mean, even imagine the best case scenario. Say you, you actually do get those things. All the things that you wanted, you finally, you get them. You get all the vacations. You're touring all around the world. You, you, you had all those operations, and now you look great. <laughs> Maybe you, your cat video went viral, and you're an internet celebrity, right? Everybody knows you. They like you. You're on the best committee at church. You, you, you have it all. Everyone says you're wonderful. Well, now what? Are you really living? You can't take any of that with you. You're not going to live forever. Is that what real life is? A collection of all these things? Well, those are the options before us. Those are the testimonials that we are presented with daily. And we're fooled a lot of the times. We fall for it so often. But Jesus gives us another choice. He gives us a better option. And that's what we see in this passage today. We're challenged in John this morning to hear the better testimonies that Jesus has to offer. In verse 31, he says, If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. But there's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. Now, the people who are in conflict with Jesus, I mentioned, they're religious leaders. They are a group of people who think they've already got it all figured out. They think they are living the good life already. That they have all the right answers. They've got the good theology. They go to the religious services all the time. They listen to the right teachers and preachers. They know the right thing. But Jesus says, no, you're all wrong. In verse 24, last week, he said to these leaders, you think you know the right answers, but the truth is whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. He says, you need to believe me for eternal life, but they don't want to. They, they think they know how to live already. And so, in response, Jesus gives them some reasons why they should believe in him. He gives them specifically four better testimonies to listen to than the ones of the world around them. The first one, he says, is the testimony of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, we've looked at him several times over the course of this book. He was a well-known and respected teacher at the time. He was extremely popular 
People looked up to him and they cared about what he had to say. And what did he have to say? Well, the main point of John the Baptist's message was this. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of John the Baptist's ministry was testifying to the arrival of the Messiah. And so Jesus, first of all, he says to these leaders, you should believe in me because of the testimony of others. People who are telling you, you can find life in me. That was true back then, and and it's still true today. It's not just John the Baptist who testifies to the power of Jesus, right? Anybody who knows the power of Christ's salvation can testify about Jesus, right? Amen? I I hope some people in this room can testify to the power of Jesus in their life. Amen? Yeah, right? Whether you're a believer here today, if you're not, I'll say, if you're visiting today, I want to encourage you. Some of those people who just said amen, you should go and talk to them. (laughs) Maybe you've been sitting in this room for years, and you feel like you're just going through the motions. There are people in this room who can tell you what it's like to know Christ personally. They can give you a testimony. And their testimony is powerful. The testimony of other people who know Christ is a powerful thing. But here's the interesting thing in our passage. Jesus says it's actually, of all the different kinds of testimonies, probably the lowest ranking of them all. He says, uh, you know, I don't need human, not that I accept human testimony, but I just mention it that you may be saved. He says, because there's even better testimonies than that. Don't just take my word for it. Don't just take some other guy's word for it. Verse 36, he says, I have a testimony weightier than John for the works that the Father gave me to finish. The very works that I'm doing testify that the Father has sent me. So secondly, he tells his works testify to who he is. What kind of works? Well, he's talking about miracles, right? Jesus did miracles. All these people who Jesus is talking to, there's no debate over whether he is doing incredible miracles. They are not in doubt. Now today, that's a different story. Today we doubt miracles. And I understand that, right? Most of us have not seen these kind of miracles before. Most of us, we don't have first-hand experience with these things like people coming back from the dead. (laughs) But I really like the way Martin Lloyd-Jones often talks about this in his sermons. He says that people who have a problem with miracles really, at the end of the day, have a problem with the existence of God. That's what's at the root. Because if you are going to believe God exists, you're going to believe there's a God who created the world, who made all things, including you. Well, of course, if there's a God like that, he can do what he wants. He can do what he pleases. And think about the miracles Jesus did. If you read some of those stories in the gospel Jesus' miracles, they're not to show off. They're not just miracles to make him famous, right? He doesn't make camels disappear. He doesn't make it start raining fire or things like that. He, He is doing miracles that reveal who he is. His miracles point out the fact that he's the Lord of all creation. He is restoring the order of the world, healing the sick giving sight back to the blind, raising the dead, 
The miracles are meant to testify to the fact that he is God. That he is the way to true life. And if those testimonies aren't enough, he gives another. He says in verse 37, The Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. He says, third, God. God himself testifies to who Jesus is. And this happens all over scripture. It happens throughout the gospels. But one such place is in Luke 3, where Jesus is being baptized. And it says, the voice of God came from heaven and said, you are my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Not only back in scripture, though, even today, God continues to testify to the reality of Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes into the life of every believer and cries out, Abba, Father. Paul tells us that unless the Spirit of God dwells in a person, you can't possibly say Jesus is Lord. God continues to testify in our life that Jesus is Lord. So the people testify. The miracles testify. God himself testifies. But Jesus says the most damning testimony of all for these people he's arguing with is the testimony of Scripture itself. Verse 39. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. In other words, he says, the very testimony that you claim to believe and base your life upon is talking about me at every single turn. And let me take a moment to point out here, when Jesus said this, the New Testament had not been written yet. Okay, so he is talking about what we call the Old Testament, right? And sometimes, maybe often, you might hear somebody say, ah, you know, I'm okay with the New Testament. I like the stuff I read in the New Testament. God seems pretty cool in the New Testament. But that Old Testament stuff, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the Old Testament stuff. That, that seems like wrath. That seems like anger. Well, pay attention. Because Jesus says, if you are reading the Old Testament, and the only thing you find there is strange stories and, and rules to follow. If you read the Old Testament and you don't realize that ultimately the whole thing is about him, you're missing the point. You're reading it wrong. I mean, just think about the stories. David. Isn't Jesus the true and better David, the real king after God's own heart? Moses. Isn't Jesus the one who ultimately delivered his people out of slavery and brings them into the eternal promised land? Or the Psalms? He's in the Psalms. He's the one with clean hands and a pure heart who never lifts his hands up to an idol. The prophets. He is the suffering Savior spoken of in Isaiah. Or even all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? He is that promised seed who would come forth and crush the head of the serpent. Or even the law. 
the law. Read the law. Read the Ten Commandments. It is so tough. It is so impossible to keep, so hard to follow, and that is because it is meant to show us our need for a Savior. And Jesus says, he is that Savior. Matthew chapter 5, he says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus, he says in verse 45, Don't think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. He condemns these religious leaders because they're caught up in the minutiae. They are missing the forest for the trees. The very thing they claim to believe is all about him, and they don't believe him. He says, Moses testifies to me. They stood condemned by Jesus. Because all of these things that they claimed to believe were pointing to him. And you know what? I'd add to that, in a way, all of those other false testimonies, the ones I mentioned a few minutes ago, all those things point to Jesus too. It's not only scripture that points to Jesus, it's all of life that points to him. Your insatiable hunger for more things is pointing you to a hole in your life that only God can fill. That longing for everlasting beauty and youth, it's pointing you to the fact that you were created for an eternal life that never fades. You're longing for political power and influence. It's pointing you to the fact that there really is a true kingdom. And there is a true king, and there is coming a day when every knee is going to bow together in un unity before him, where we're going to beat our swords into farming equipment, and we're going to have peace once and for all. If Jesus was just some guy claiming to be the Messiah, Jesus says it himself, if, I, if he was just some guy, if it was just his testimony, then he'd be no different from a thousand others. He'd be no different from the next guy tomorrow who comes and says, I'm the Savior, I'm Yak. But he says all of creation backs him up. All of creation testifies to him. All those billions of people around the world today who can say, I know Jesus, he is my Savior. All these miracles, they testify to him. And these miracles, they have withstood the test of time. They still stand up to scrutiny today. And of course, God himself testifies to him. And the scriptures testify to him. And if all these things testify to him, then maybe it's time to listen. Maybe it's time to believe. Maybe it's time for us to, to get busy living. To truly start going to him for life. And that brings us to the next point, which I can't ever, I can't get to. I think my clicker died. The laser still works. <laughs> what does it mean to truly live? What is this 
real life that Jesus offers. When he says, come to me that you would have life, what is he talking about? That line really hit me today. I don't know if it hits you the same way. You refuse to come to me that you would have life. A friend of mine was posting online recently, uh, and he posted this list of phrases his kids tell him that he's always saying. You know, the, the proverbs of dad, the things that they're always hearing come out of his mouth. He just asked them for a list. And some of them were funny and some of them were silly, but one of them really stood out to me in a kind of convicting way that his kids always hear their father saying, Bible before phone. Bible before phone. And I was reading through this list and I found myself wondering about my own life. When did this habit happen? I don't know if you're the same way as me, but I, I, I can't remember when the phone became a part of my routine every morning. You know, pick it up, turn off your alarm, and just start scrolling through the news or whatever. Let a few minutes pass by. Now, there's nothing innately sinful about the choice of looking at your phone first thing in the morning, but it does say something, I think, about where we're going, where I'm going to find life. What am I doing the first moment I'm awake and aware in the morning? What am I looking to for life? Where do you go first thing in the morning? Or what about your pursuits throughout the day? What gets your time? What gets your energy? What about first thing in the evening when you come home? Or the last thing at night before you go to bed? Jesus says, you refuse to come to me that you might have life. And, and I want you to hear this morning that refusing to go to Jesus for life, it doesn't always look like outright defiance. Sometimes it just looks like letting yourself get pulled along by the fog of life. How would you characterize the state of your soul this morning? Is Jesus near? Is the Holy Spirit, the wind of the Holy Spirit, filling up the sails of your life? Are you able to find joy, even in difficult circumstances? Are you aware of God's delight in you right now? Are you aware of his presence right here in this space right now? Come to Jesus. He can give you life. You know these familiar words. John chapter 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, that you might have life and have it to the full. In Matthew, he gives the call. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen again to his rebuke. He says, you refuse to come to me 
that you would have life. But what's in that rebuke? Still, there's an invitation in that rebuke. Come to me to have life. Come to me. So how do we do that? How do we come to him this morning? Well, the first step is we have to give up on all those other false testimonies. We got to scroll right past them. We got to move on. These religious people we read about, they were so caught up in making sure that other people were doing the right things, following the right rules, that they missed Jesus standing right in front of them. Don't miss Jesus today. We are here to meet with a living God. Or better yet, a living God has come to meet with you today. Not because you're a good rule keeper. Not because you get it right. Not because you deserve it. It's because he wants you to live. He wants you to really live with him forever. Our God delights in the salvation of his children. He wants you to be freed, to hear the true and living word, to reject those lies and to believe in him. So we reject those false testimonies and then we finally, we believe his testimony. We repent. That's what that means, we repent. We turn away from the empty promises and we finally put Christ at the center. See, the message of the gospel, the heart of the gospel, is that Jesus gave his life so that you could have life. Jesus died so you could really live. And the promise of the resurrection is that everyone who believes in him has eternal life. Everyone who puts their trust in him as Savior will truly live forever. Believe. Believe. And and. The last thing I'll say is, and then get busy living. Live in joy. Live in the presence of a God who loves you. Don't just store all that stuff up for yourselves. Go out into the world and live. Share the good news. Share the good news with with messy people, with, with broken people, with people who need freedom, people who are just like you and me. See, the world is full of all of these false testimonies. But let's go out there and live real lives for Jesus Christ. And let's proclaim this better testimony to the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And I confess, Lord, even here and now that I often don't seem to be really living. That I find myself in a fog, in a haze, as the world is passing me by, as I'm caught up in my own thoughts, lost to your greater purposes. But God, I thank you that you love me the same. That you love me not based off of what I've done, but based off of what Christ has done. And I pray that anyone in this room who doesn't know that love today, Lord, that you would reveal yourself that you would convict them, 
of the lies they've believed and invite them to your truth. And God, I pray for all of us as we go out of this place that we would know you, that we would see you, that we would come to you, and that we would find life. We pray in Christ.